the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. He does not say to them, after all that I've done for you, this is how you repay me. You deserve what you're getting. I hope you're suffering in your desolate city. Now he says, come, come to me. You're ruined by your sin, but I can make you whole again. You're sick from head to toe. You're terminal, but I can heal you. Whether we care to admit it or not, each and every one of us has and will struggle at various times throughout our walk with the Lord. Whether it's a struggle with sin or faith or truly believing the promises of God, we all have our fair share of doubts or condemnation. However, as Pastor Dan will teach you in his study today, God's faithfulness to Israel is one of the greatest sources of assurance we have. In his study, you'll learn about the grace and mercy of God, even in the midst of Israel's constant rebellion and and iniquity. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. Look what he says in verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, very graphic description. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. He, he describes Israel's spiritual condition here. He's, they're, they're, they're covered from head to toe with just big, open, oozing sores. He says there's no part of their body that's healthy. They're just consumed with this, with this disease. And the, the image that he's using here is that of a leper. And not just a leper, but someone who is filled with leprosy from head to toe, meaning they're, they're in the, the final stages of leprosy. They're nearing the end. And Israel was nearing the end. And leprosy is a disease that has no cure. And it's a death sentence. They're at a point in their, their condition where they're nearing the end. Judgment is coming soon upon them all because they've turned away from God. Now, verses 7 and 8, he gives a description of the devastation of their land because of their rebellion. So this this is the result of this nation forsaking God. Uh, This nation that God had blessed, this nation that God had made great and powerful, this is what happened after they turned away from him. Your country 
is desolate. It's ruined. It's wasted. You know, and um, I'll just read it to you, but Second Chronicles uh, 28, verse 19, it says there, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Because the king, the leader of the nation, encouraged moral decline and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord, the Lord brought Judah low. He brought them low. It's, it goes on to say, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. Then it says, This is that King Ahaz that he's talking about. This is that King Ahaz. But the king was increasingly unfaithful. He encouraged moral decline. And God brought the, the country low. The country is desolate now. It's ruined. This once great world superpower is desolate. He says, your cities are burned with fire. The cities are destroyed. Enemies have come in and destroyed their cities. At this point, Jerusalem is one of the few remaining cities left in Judah. that hasn't been destroyed. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and the land is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And here the word strangers, it's referring to foreigners. It's talking about these, these people from other countries that are coming in. They're coming in from the northern kingdom of Israel. They're coming in from Syria. They're coming in from Edom. They're coming in from the Philistines. They're coming in uh, from the Assyrians. And they're coming in and they're plundering the fields right before their eyes. And they couldn't stop them. And they've got this big problem in Judah with foreigners coming into the land and plundering their nation. Their borders aren't secure. Does that sound familiar? They've got to secure the borders. You know what King Hezekiah is going to do? He's going to build a wall to keep the foreigners out. You know what Isaiah is going to do? He's going to rebuke them for building a wall. And he's going to say to him, you built a wall and you didn't look to God to help you? You trusted in a wall to save you? And you didn't trust in God to save you? You know, their cities are desolate. What they, do, they don't need you know, infrastructure rebuilt. They need to repent of their sins. It's a spiritual thing that is happening in the nation of Israel. But it's playing out economically and it's playing out physically in the country, devastation in the country. But the issue is spiritual. It's not a policy issue. It's a spiritual issue in Israel. I'm talking about Israel. <laughs> so they've got foreigners coming in and plundering their crops, and they can't do anything to stop them. Verse 8, So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, a hut, in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. It's talking about Jerusalem here. And Isaiah describes it as a hut in a vegetable garden. You know, during the time of David, 
Jerusalem was described as the perfection of beauty. It was described as the joy of the whole earth. And now it's described as a broken down shed in the middle of a garden of cucumbers. Just devastated. What happened? Why? Because they turned from the Lord. They forsook God. Because all of the blessings that came upon Israel came upon them because of their obedience to the Lord and they have rebelled against God and now He's not blessing them like He once did. And it's ruined their nation. Psalm 107 verse 34 says, A fruitful land He turns into barrenness because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Look at verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. It was only the mercy of God that Israel survived at all and wasn't completely wiped out just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we, in our Jude study on Sunday mornings, we saw last week that Sodom and Gomorrah, it says they were, they were given over to sexual immorality. They were just given over to their sin. And in the same way, Judah at this point was just given over to their sin. They were given over to uh, idolatry. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed them completely. And here we're told the only reason God hasn't destroyed Judah is because there's a very small remnant. There's a very small remnant of people in the land who have been faithful to God, who haven't turned from him. And so God spared the nation for the sake of that very small remnant. You know, when the rapture happens, God's going to take his church, his bride, that remnant, out of here. And then God's going to pour out his wrath and his judgment upon the earth. He's going to spare the world until the remnant is removed. But as long as the remnant's here, he withholds his wrath. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the, the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He calls the leaders of Judah, you know, rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He calls the people of Judah, the people of Gomorrah. Now, in their, in their minds, there were no people more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. And here God calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, look, look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands to pray, they would go into the temple courts and lift their hands to pray. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And I want you to tune in. I don't want you to miss this. While they were in rebellion, they still maintained their religious activity. While they were in rebellion, they still maintained their religious activity. They were still going to the temple. They were still bringing their offerings and bringing their sacrifices. They were still going to the feasts. They were still praying in the temple and even lifting their hands. While they were in active rebellion against God, they they still had this outward religious stuff going on. But it was all, of course, it was all fake and it was all phony. It wasn't real. Later in Isaiah, Isaiah will say, uh, the Lord will say through Isaiah, these people honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And you, you see God's uh, reaction to their hypocrisy, and you see God's reaction to their, their home, phony religious activity. Look at what he says here. He, he says in verse 13, Stop bringing me your meaningless sacrifices. The incense you offer makes me sick. I want nothing to do with it. Verse 14, I hate your feasts. They are a burden to me. I can't stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I'm not going to look and I'm not going to listen to you. I've had enough of your hypocrisy. God does not like religious phoniness. Man, whenever you come before the Lord, whether that's here at church or in the morning, when you sit with your Bible and a cup of coffee just alone before the Lord, You know, confess your sins. Walk in the light with Him. Get things right. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about, if you go go into the temple to make an offering to the Lord, and there you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your offering there. Go be reconciled with that person. Then come back and worship. He doesn't want us to be phony. He doesn't want us coming to church and raising our hands you know, or, or, or worshiping Him or doing religious activity when we're living in open rebellion against Him and have turned away from Him. He doesn't, he doesn't like that. He despises that. He says in verse 16, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then he says in verse 18, Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says this to the same people that he just soundly rebuked in verses 11 to 17. To the same people that he said, you make me sick. I can't stand you. I can't stand when you do this stuff. 
I hate that. He used the word hate. I hate it. I don't want you to do it anymore. And now in verse 18, you see the grace of God and you see the heart of God where he now extends this invitation to those same people, the same people that have rebelled against him and turned from him, these sinners. He says to them, come now. Come now. Come now. And let us reason together. He says, your sins, they're like scarlet. And I love, I love how God doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to water it down. He says, look, your sins, they're like scarlet. The word scarlet here, it literally means to be double dyed. You know, they would dye a garment. They would, they would dip it in the dye and then they would let it dry and they dip it in again so that that dye would get down into the fibers and completely saturate the fabric. And there's no getting that dye out of that fabric. And he's saying to them, he's saying, you're stained by your sin. There's nothing you can do to get that stain out. There's nothing you can do to get that stain out. There's nothing you can do to remove that stain. But if you come to me, he says, I'll make your sins white as snow. God says, I can get the stain out. You can't. There's no way in your own power, your own ability, or all your religious activity that you can get that stain out, but I can get it out if you just turn to me. And I'll make your sin as white as snow. I'll remove the stain of your sin. I'll make you clean. How does he do that? Through the cross. Through the cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our sin was like scarlet. We were double dyed with sin. And it's only the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sin. And here the Lord says this, and I don't want you to miss this. He says this to rebels. He says this to rebels who have rebelled against him and they're religious hypocrites, rebels. He does not say to them, after all that I've done for you, this is how you repay me. You deserve what you're getting. I hope you're suffering in your desolate city. Now he says, come, come to me. You're ruined by your sin, but I can make you whole again. You're sick from head to toe. You're terminal. But I can heal you. I can cleanse you. If you just turn back to me. And, And he says here, I love this. He says, be reasonable. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. I love that he says that. He says, be reasonable. Your sins are like scarlet, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've got a death sentence on you, but if you just turn to me, I will make you as white as snow. Be reasonable. It's kind of like uh, Romans 6.23 in the New Testament. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That's the same offer that Isaiah 118 makes. You're dead in your sins, but God offers eternal life through Jesus Christ. Be reasonable. (laughs) Come on. Be reasonable. Apart from Christ, you'll perish in your sins, but he offers us eternal life. Just like here, your sins are like scarlet. But I'll make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool if you just come now to me. It's like a Moses in Deuteronomy 30. He says to the children of Israel, I have put before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. Be reasonable. You've got two choices, life or death. Choose life. And that's what God is saying here. Your sins are like scarlet. I'll make them white. Be reasonable. Look at verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Remember, we just read how the land is devastated and desolate and ruined because they've turned away from God. There are foreigners that are coming in and stealing all their crops right out from under them. There's nothing they can do about it. And here he says, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land again. If my people are called by name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. And what does he say? And I'll heal your land. That's what he's saying here. I'll restore your land. I'll restore the blessing and the abundance and the provision. If you're obedient and willing to turn to me. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. That's the choice. Obedience and blessing or, door number two, rebellion and death. And here is God pleading with rebels and pleading with them to be reasonable. Be reasonable. Be willing and obedient and I'll bless you. If you aren't willing and you aren't obedient, you're going to die by the sword. And then he says at the end of verse 20, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, this is the way that it is. God is shooting straight with them. This is how it is. These are your two choices. Obedience and blessing or rebellion and death. I want to give you blessing. I want to make your sins white as snow. Please, God says to them, be reasonable. Choose rightly. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. 
Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth.